Thank you, Jono. I'm not going to tell the congregation about that Sunday afternoon, soon after we had met you guys, and uh, we went. uh, Oops, and we went. um, We went to go and have one of those spontaneous coffees with uh, John and Saskia, and we knocked on the door. And uh, can I just say there was a lot of scurrying away. uh, into sort of um, decency. Uh, but I guess they were on honeymoon. And, uh, and uh, in those days, they never had a TV. So I would imagine, okay, I'm going to not go there. Such a joy to be with you on this amazing day. Uh, my heart is just light and, and uh, just uh, find myself rejoicing in the goodness of God in so many ways. One of the ways is that uh, today marks the 46th anniversary of our marriage to this gorgeous girl. And a lot of couples, you know, get to go away for anniversaries. We get to be yeah. With you, it's the most amazing thing. But somebody did spoil us on on uh, uh, on Friday, and they sent us to Harbour House for an anniversary dinner or lunch, whatever it is. It was so fantastic. I want to speak to you this morning from uh, the book of Jeremiah. I've entitled the message. I mean, there are a hundred words I could put into the title. Safe, secure, satisfied in God's sovereign will. Safe, secure, satisfied in God's sovereign will. Some of what I'll be sharing comes out of the history of how we started to build Common Ground Church years ago. John and Saskia, 25 years ago, were on the Khrutskia High School field and a group of about seven or eight of us were praying the most audacious prayers about God. We want to see you break into our city and do good things. And we said yes to any way he wanted to involve us. And uh, my feeling as we come out of COVID and we re-emerge as the church and the people of God, there's a sense in which we know we're saved, we're in his family, we can be secure in our salvation. But God wants us to be secure in what he's doing in the world. And he wants every one of us to feel like we've got a part in that story. And in those early days, we were uh, introduced uh, to, to Tim Keller, who shaped some a little part of what I'm going to share this morning. But uh, uh, I have had this fresh sense of, of awakening to call us to a fresh uh, orientation around what God is doing in the world. So I want you to turn on your, 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 your devices, your Bibles, or look on the screen with me. We're just going to read the first 14 verses of Jeremiah 29. And uh, let me just say this, that the Bible is pregnant from the beginning to the end with the doctrine of the sovereignty of God, the God of power, wisdom, uh, unfaltered ways, the God who is large and in charge, 
and uh, I was hoping to play a little video clip. I just don't think we've got the time to that, so I want to ask uh, our, our staff if we could just put the link to that little video I was going to play on the, on the WhatsApp group because it'll just fill in some of the fat around this doctrine of God's sovereignty, uh, what it means and what it doesn't mean. And there are people that struggle with it. Uh, but uh, God can, can be at work in the world while he res- respects our freedom and our choices. And sometimes God is so present in the world, but he doesn't necessarily violate the choices that happen. And so we have to make sense of so many things, you know, Russia invading Ukraine, all of that stuff. Sometimes the biggest judgment that God puts on the world is he lets us have our own way. Romans 1 talks about he hands us over to, and we see that. I don't want to get into the weeds on that because this passage is a positive picture of the people of God in really desperate times and how God leads his people, how he enlists his people to be part of what he's doing. And so we're going to read together and I'm going to crane my already stiff neck. I fell off an e-bike traveling around the the locks of Scotland. Yes, I was at the British Open one week ago for the Saturday and the Sunday. Bucket list stuff. It's a total miracle. But as I turn it up there, I'm aware of aches and pains. Okay, there we are. This is the text of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests and prophets and all the others Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the court officials, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metalsmiths had been exiled from Jerusalem. The letter was entrusted to Elisa, the son of Shaphan, and uh, Jemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It's stated, This is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles who were carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the prosperity of the city to which I have sent you as exiles. Pray to the God, to, go, to the Lord on its behalf, for if it prospers, you too will prosper. For this is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel says, do not be deceived by the prophets and diviners among you, and do not listen to the dreams You elicit from them, for they are falsely prophesying to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. For this is what the Lord says. When Babylon's 70 years are complete, I will attend to you and confirm my promise to restore you to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. Lord, won't you help us to, to hear what you want to say to us? Won't you visit us and our thoughts and our hearts in a new way, in a fresh way today? 
for the glory of your name. Amen. So that verse, verse 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for, not for evil. Plans to give you a future and a hope. How many of you have heard that verse before? Okay, so I'm preaching to those who have it. How many of you have got a bumper sticker? Something like that. Or how many of you have sent that as a word of encouragement to someone on a WhatsApp? Huh, okay. Not, not, not evil, not wrong. Just want you to see some things we might have missed. And of course, God is trying to assure his people living in very difficult times of his sovereign control over history. It involves nations. It involves movements of people. It involves the movements of the people of God into less than ideal situations. I read this cool quote. Fear lives and rules in the heart of a believer who has forgotten God's sovereignty and grace. If left to myself, I should be afraid. Many of the trials and dangers in this fallen world, let's be honest, are bigger than us. They're more powerful than us. And they're outside of our control. Over and over I've found myself saying to people, God's given you responsibilities, but he's not given you control. And so we've got to realize, you know, let's embrace our responsibilities, but let's not pretend that we're in control. We've got to keep coming back to God. The message of the gospel is that I have not been left to myself. Emmanuel, God with us, is with us, with sovereign authority, perfect wisdom, and powerful grace. And so your security and my security is not the absence of danger and difficulty in this life. My security is not the absence of negative stuff. It is the presence of God in my life, no matter what the danger. And Jeremiah 29 seems to unpack this. Now, da-da-da-da, we've got to learn something here. Whenever we have taken that verse and we've given it to an individual for themselves, we've just misapplied it. It's not that it has no implications for an individual, but you'll notice that this is Yahweh talking to his covenant people through an individual, Jeremiah, but the message is written to a whole bunch of people that are the exiles who are the third wave of exiles coming out of Judah into Babylon. It's around A.D. B.C. 595 that Jeremiah's writing and the recipients are the people of God in exile. And he's telling them, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. The you there is plural. It's for the people of God. Seberg, 
God has plans that are perfect for this community. We can stumble and fall and have some difficulty upon the thing. Our future is not tied up with rehashing some of the difficulties and pain of the past. Our future is understanding that God has a glorious purpose for His people, even in the midst of uncertainty. So God is not speaking to individuals, but to a collective. Now, this is a little bit like Wimbledon. Because in chapter 27, Jeremiah's already prophesying. And what he's done is God's told him to put a, a kind of a wooden yoke over him. Something that would uh, be over an animal to, to have control over that animal. And he's told uh, Jeremiah, put this wooden yoke over you and go around saying, Babylon is going to... Uh, 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 invade Judah, and it's going to take a whole bunch of you like caged animals into exile. Now, how many of you would like to have a ministry that has to go public and telling people the bad news? I mean, that's what preaching is. We've got to tell people the bad news. Donnie did it today. He says, if we, you'll never be alive if you ignore your creator. You'll never be alive unless you're trusting somebody bigger than yourself. That, you've got to tell people you are not enough to save you. Your life in your hands is desperate. You've got to put your hand, your life into much bigger, safer hands. And Jeremiah's coming and God says, part of how I'm going to fix my people, how I'm going to move them into my purposes, they're going to come under my discipline. But listen, whenever God disciplines us, it's evidence of his love. God is loving his people as he puts them through this difficult season that's going to last longer than they think. So this is in chapter 27. He's announcing this. This is just a very quick overview. In chapter 28, there's another prophet in town. His name is Hananiah. And so Jeremiah prophesies, prophesies, boom, it's like Wimbledon. And now Hananiah comes up and comes up to to Jeremiah and takes the wooden yoke and breaks it. And he prophesies to all the people in Judah, not in the exile, they're still in, uh, down in Jerusalem. And he says to them, hey guys, I've got some fantastic news for you. Because he had heard there's some rumblings in Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar's had some armies, some distractions. Some, so he, he's had a few losses on the battlefield. And there's some uprisings of other nations. So Hananiah starts to think, oops, this is God intervening. And he's going to deliver his people. Breaks the yoke of, of Jeremiah. And he says, you're all going to be free. And we're going to have all the treasures come back from Babylon that Nebuchadnezzar had sold. And we're going to put it back in the temple. And all your families are coming back to you. It's going to be hunky-dory. This is where fake news and conspiracy theories originated. Right here. The peddlers of good news. The problem is, he said, you're going to all come back in two years. Now, the mark of a false prophet, biblically, is that if what he, didn't, if, if what he says doesn't come to pass, he is a false prophet. Now, Jeremiah's super humble in chapter 20, first part of chapter 28, super humble. And he says, oh, amen. I wish it were so. And then just moves away and he's alone with God and Yahweh comes to him. He says, Jeremiah, go back. And I want you to go and tell Hananiah this. 
what you're saying is not true. You're misleading the people of God. You're giving them false hope. And because you've done that, you're going to die. How would you like that kind of ministry? Well, it might satisfy the ego slightly. But two months later, Hananiah was dead. And so now, the, that's what we call home game prophecy. Now the away match, Jeremiah says, I better go and anchor those guys in exile who are hearing all this this conspiracy fake news stuff. And so he sends this letter, which ends with these words, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Interesting stuff, isn't it? And now God, in this letter, those few verses that we read, he calls his people to yield to what he's doing Because there are seasons in our lives where it's fantastic and there are other seasons where you can come under the hand of God. It's not all that fantastic. But God is always loving toward his covenant people. He's always at work. There's a sense in which God starts to call his people in, uh, in exile in the same way that Jesus called his disciples and said, you're a city set on a hill. I want to show you off. I want to put you into a broken world. Yes, you're going to feel like you exiles. That's exactly what Peter writes to the people of God that are scattered abroad, some, some, of, some of it because of persecution. And he calls them exiles. There's a way to live as exiles in the big story of God's sovereign wisdom. In fact, our highest happiness and joy does not lie from getting a set of perfect circumstances in a broken world. Our highest joy lies in finding our place in the perfect will of God, in the sovereign will of God, in the joy of his story. And so we see here, God asks Israel to do five things in exile. And I think they have 21st century application right here in the southern suburbs to us. He's basically saying the headlines, I want you to submit to my sovereign exile curriculum for you. And so this letter to all the people who Nebuchadnezzar had carried away into Jerusalem. Oh, so it was Nebuchadnezzar who carried them away. And the verse 4 says, Thus says the Lord of, of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I caused to be carried away. Let's not be too quick to blame the devil for everything. Everything is under the control and authority of Almighty God. And so all of us need a higher view of God and particularly a higher view of his sovereign will and ways. It's what Jesus taught us to pray. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth. That's the story of God. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's uncontested in the heavens. Just on this tiny little speck of dust called planet earth does the will of God get contested and opposed. So these are the five things he calls the people of God to do. And I'm, gonna, I'm trying not to make this a long message, but if it is long, it's because you're listening so well and it just comes out of me slower. Number one, he says to them, build houses, settle down, plant gardens and eat their fruit in verse 5. 
move all the way in. What had happened is a group of the exiles had built their bungalows down at Hermanus. I mean the, the Kibar River. That sense of, and I've heard a number of uh, stories just recently of people moving out, getting off the grid, going into, away from it all, wanting to create a life, sort of withdrawing from the world. And I can understand why that seems like such an attractive uh, option. But God is saying, I want you to move all the way in. My people, I don't want you camping on the outskirts of the city of Babylon. I want you to move right into it. I want you to know the gospel is a robust faith. I want you to know the God you serve is not intimidated by the forces at work in the world. I want you to know you are designed to thrive. It's a fruitful vine that can grow over all kinds of opposition. That is the church of Jesus Christ. Move all the way in to the city in terms of your economic life. Be active. You know, unless you can afford not to be active, then still be active, but in other ways. But move into the city's economic life, into its rhythms, under, rejoice in its culture. Don't sit on the sidelines of your city, criticizing, condemning, uh, critiquing uh, everything and everyone. God is calling us away from any sense of wanting to withdraw. And he says, no, you are the light of the world. You're a city set on a hill. Move into every sphere of life. Of course, the Babylonians, they had very clear intent when they took... Why did they t- who did they take in their first waves of exiles from Judah into Babylon? They took all the elite, the intellectual elites. They took all those that were master craftsmen and skilled because they wanted to import that into Babylon and add to their sort of intellectual asset base. God wants us to know we're robust. We can take our place in the world without wondering, oh, Please get me out of here. Oh, we're just longing for the second coming of Jesus. Folk, I'm longing for the second coming of Jesus, but maybe God is longing for the second coming of his people. He's longing for the second coming of the church. He's longing for us to wake out of the stupor of post-COVID negativity and to say, we are going to be that city set on a hill. Can I get an amen? Thank you for that. Secondly, he says to his people, stay distinct. Be different. Rather than resemble Babylon or remove yourself from it, serve it. So how can we be distinct in our culture? You know, very easy. You get a tattoo, wear an earring, dress like John. Now, these Babylonians were very, very clever, as is the spirit of this age. Don't underestimate the fact that we get an an hour and a half on a Sunday to try and make a massive difference to our lives, but we go into a culture that's out to colonize us every day of our lives. All of social media, don't underestimate the way we are being discipled and formed. 
And God says, I want you to be different. I want you to be a voice of truth, not an echo of the culture you're in. The Babylonians had one strategy for Israel. It's a strategy of assimilation. They didn't want to kill them because then you lose all the skills base. They wanted to assimilate them. Wanted to absorb them into their culture. Wanted them minus their belief system. Folk, if the church starts to resemble the culture, that's the time, or that's if you want just to read of church history, every church that no longer exists sold out to culture in their particular generation in some form or another. That's the generalization. So while the Babylonians wanted to assimilate them, minus their faith, the false prophets from back home were sending messages through their little agents in Babylon calling for separation. Stay on the outside. Don't get involved. Keep your religious identity. If you don't wear all your, your badges from, 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 from uh, Jerusalem, people are not going to know that you're different. God doesn't want us to wear badges, people. God wants us to just be radically different and transform people in the way we love and serve our world. And so if, the, if God's saying no to assimilation and no to separation... What's he calling us to? He's calling us to be a prophetic presence of joy in the world. He wants us not to be, not to be out to mobilize a Christian majority to change the world. The world does not need a Christian majority. That's where they're getting it wrong, in my humble opinion, in America. The, 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 the culture wars, the religious right, you know. For those who are listening to this, take my, my, my name is Don Miller. <laughs> We're playing the power games of the politicians. Whenever the church gets into bed with politics, it gets pregnant. Not the politicians. The church. And we do not need a... a, 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 a a Christian majority. We need a compelling minority. The people of God have always been in a minority in every uh, movement of history, and God has accomplished His most glorious work through the dedicated few. That way, He gets all the glory, and we stay humble. When church has morphed into culture and society and played all the power games, we've lost our witness. And so this alternative city of God within the cities of man, that's what we're a part of. It's alternative. And we're showing and showcasing what a community of people can look like who know how to steward sex, money, and power in beautiful, wonderful, and life-giving ways. Third thing God says to them, first one is move all the way in. Second one is... Stay distinct. Third one, increase. Do not decrease in number. <laughs> Don't you like the little pick? Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Now, this isn't pure church growth strategy, but it's confidence to live a life where they are growing on multiple fronts. And God wants us to feel like that in our lives. And we do it with wisdom. And I'm not telling anybody how to, how to do that. But notice at the heart of it is raising 
godly, servant-hearted families. Folk, our families are in such trouble in our culture. If you just read the newspapers, you just see one of the things. We can't fix everything, but we can showcase a new possibility with our way we parent, the way we honor women, the way we stand up against gender-based violence, the way we take a stand for, 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 for developing a culture of honor. And so the mandate is, is to decrease in number, is to capitulate, to get that, like, I just want to be part of something small and tame and nice and tidy. If you're sitting with that, we are not going to be salt and light in our city. It's not primarily, though, about church growth. It's about gospel faithfulness. It's about saying we are, we are not going to yield to xenophobic rubbish. You know what the word xenophobia, xenophobia means? Xenos is strangers. Phobia is fear. It's fear-based living. We hate those people we don't know or understand. Do you know what the, the Bible word for hospitality is? It's the exact opposite word of xenophobia. It's instead of fear of strangers, it's love of strangers. Folk, the church ought to be the most welcoming community. But friends, we've got to start to not just do that on a Sunday. We're going to need to get our dining room tables ready to serve in a new way. We've got to practice hospitality, not just with all your best mates where we do that wonderful thing, great meal with you. And as we leave, we say, oh, we must do that again sometime at my house. And so we play cul-de-sac hospitality. No, start having a few extra tables. It doesn't always have to be fine dining. That's not saying that to you, but to the rest of us, that's a joke. Okay, quickly, let's move along. The fourth thing God says to his people is seek the shalom of the city to which I've sent you. Now just get this. This is ridiculous. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile, where you are right now. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Folks, this is unique in ancient literature. To pray... For those who've murdered your sons and daughters and your mothers and fathers, it's like, it's like pray for your enemies. It's counterculture. It's counterintuitive. It's not the normal stuff, but it is the gospel stuff. And here we see the seeds of, of new creation, reality in play here. Just pray for those that have oppressed you. Pray for those who have carried you off into exile. Pray for these guys who've hurt you. And seek the welfare of the city. Because in the welfare of the city, there your welfare was come. So many of us feel we're responsible for our own welfare. It seems like God is saying, lift your sights beyond just your four walls, your house, your budget. Lift your eyes. Get a vision for beyond that. I'm cutting it really short because there's only one more. The mark of the citizens of the kingdom of God or the city of God is that they can and must be the best, most loving, servant-hearted citizens in the city of man. 
It's not separatism. It's God's people in and among. He says, seek the welfare. And he says, pray to the Lord on behalf of the city. Pray for Nebuchadnezzar and all of these bad dudes who are as corrupt as anything. Trust God to build a better Cape Town. Trust God to build a better Johannesburg, a better KZN. I know the cynicism and the temptation to absolute despair as we read some of our headlines. I can't do anything about everybody else, but we can be part of the compelling minority that prays the right kind of prayers and seeks to turn the tide. And part of what it means to seek the welfare of the of the city is to be on our knees to say, Lord, what are your plans for our city? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to give you a hope. And it's corporate and a future. Question, why are you in Cape Town right now in this season of your life? I know some of us are maybe exploring being somewhere else. The grass is greener. But why are you right now in Cape Town? Is it to benefit your own life? Is it to extend your career? Is it to make money? Is it to find a partner? Because all the best girls in Cape Town, isn't that right? Is it to enjoy its lifestyle and its beauty, its food and its wine? None of that is wrong. We're in Cape Town because God put us here. Acts 17 says, God determined the exact place of your habitation, where you would live. The next verse says that men might call upon him. It's not, God didn't put you in Cape Town for you alone. Yes, it includes you, but he put it because he cares about the rest of the citizens of Cape Town. And then the final point, you can't do one to four unless you do this fifth one. You can't do move all the way in because it's going to be undermined by 0.5. You can't, what's the second one? Be distinct. If your mind is all foggy with all the fake news, you can't increase and do not decrease because you'll operate by fear and play it safe. And you can't seek the welfare of the city if we're overexposed to short-termism and, and false narratives. What's, what's short-termism? See, Hananiah's prophetic revelation was in two years, everything is hunky-dory. Jeremiah says, in 70 years. You see, we, we, under, we overestimate what God can do in a decade, and we underestimate what He can do in seven decades. God is saying to his people, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you. Don't listen to the dreams which you cause to be dreams because you've got appetite for false news. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. We've got to refuse not just the Hananias, but what they represent. We've got to start to snatch our minds back from the tyranny of social media. Remember, the loudest voices are not true voices. 
loudest voices are just the loudest voices, and they're only loud because they've been amplified through all the various means of media. Hananiah represents the popular voices. The people wanted to listen to Hananiah more than they wanted to listen to Jeremiah. It's hard being a preacher. It's hard to preach in a culture like this where we have to continually say, that's not what God is saying. This is what God is saying. We just don't have the luxury of sentencing people to death in God's name. And some of the Hananiahs are those who distort what God is saying. And here's what short-termism is. He was selling a two-year vision, two-year sense of future with a happy fairy story ending. And God is saying, I want you to get a story for your whole life. Your life is too important for me to just like, like bookmark it into these year one and year two. He says, your life is way more important. What I'm doing in the world is glorious and good. I am going to bring you out of Babylon. But because it's a seven decade possibility, I want you to give yourself to my big story in the world, in Babylon, even in difficulty. And I want you to start to be my people. Story of uh, Carl Truman tells the story of the Cologne Cathedral. They started building it in 1248. And they only completed it in 1880. 642 years it took to build the cathedral. Now, I'm not raving about the religious or spiritual significance of buildings. It's not how I see things. But I have seen with Sue the Cologne Cathedral in 1990. It is a magnificent building. Let's think about this. Through all the wars and all the difficulties that pushed the completion of that project back, there were a group of people that kept in their generation building stones. In the first uh, year of that, the stonemasons had no idea what it would finally look like and as they trained their children to cut stones, they had no idea what it would look like. But they were happy to be faithful to their moment in history, not knowing the future glory of what they were giving themselves to. Why? Because they saw their small part in a bigger story of what the sovereign God was doing in and through their generation. The carpenters in that first generation, they planted forests around, oak forests around those grounds that eventually became 100, 200 years later, the beams and the seats. Short-termism is a cancer in so many people's lives because we've been taught that we're entitled to it. And in our consumer culture, we do not know how to just press the pause button and find the glory of God's story in the world in fresh ways. Okay, I'm finished with this verse. We read it. We land in the way God speaks to his people in exile, a kind of what he calls covenant renewal, a kind of call to a fresh partnership. 
fuck, I feel for us. I feel for Christians. I'm watching people living with like hangovers from COVID and disappointments, economic. And, and that, that stuff is going gonna, gonna to always be like this. But this is God speaking to his people. For I know the plans I have for you, Seberg, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Notice it's God initiating in his sovereign kindness his plans to his naughty people who he's put them under discipline in a foreign land. God still has good plans for his people. And this is what he says, when my plans are introduced to you and you say yes, verse 12, then you will call upon me when you understand these plans of mine. You will come and pray to me, call for prayer, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search me for me with your heart, your whole heart. I will, be, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore you from captivity and gather you from all the nations and places to which I have banished you, declares the Lord. I will restore you to the place from which I sent you into exile. Safe secure, satisfied. It's not just because we read these verses. It's because God has initiated toward us these plans to include us. He sent His Son into the world. As Donnie reminded us, He who spared not His own Son, gate-crashed history, came after us to rescue us. And yes, there is a final homecoming at the second coming of Jesus. But until then, there's a joy and a flourishing and a meaning in being the city of God, God's people in the city of man right now. And folk, standing in front of you today to say the future of this community is glorious. It is good. O city, O city of God, glorious things are spoken of you. Tonight in Psalm 87. Go and read Psalm 87. It's such a beautiful one. Father, thank you for the privilege and joy of reminding your people and myself today of the huge redemptive story that you're calling us to be a part of. Lord, we want to say sorry for being yeah, maybe intoxicated with our own story and maybe some of us even planning movies of our lives and being the director, the main actor, the script writer of our own life. Well, won't you free us from the tyranny of me at the center or us at the center? Won't you call us freshly to see you as the glorious King of Heaven? Good wise, sovereign, trustworthy, near. Hold us in your love, I pray. Light fresh fires in our hearts, I pray. Lord, what's dormant in us, call it out. Help us to move all the way in to be your people fully, to be distinct to have a vision for growth and maturity and flourishing and fruitfulness for your glory. 
Help us to seek the welfare of the city of man as we are that city set on a hill. And give us courage to say no to the counter-narratives that shrink us, prison us, rob us. All this in Christ's name for his glory. Can you stand with me and let's sing together as the band leads us in this amazing song.